This is the Master Plan. I am Alex Mademochoritis. Look, in all honesty, I have no idea where the things I eat really come from. Like most of us, I grew up in the city and everything I ate always came from the supermarket. Even today, I remain somewhat unaware of the links between the sourcing, production and distribution of food and the ways in which I consume it. In many ways, I think we are all strangers to the journey our food takes before arriving at our table and it's clear to me that the distance we've put between our kitchen and our food source is one of the main reasons that the global food distribution system has turned out to be the second largest greenhouse gas emitter. What I do know though is that there's an ongoing revolution that is taking place where people around the world are actively trying to reinvent the way we produce food in cities. Some call it kilometer zero food, others urban farming or even urban forests. You hear of plant-based meat, vertical farming, aquaponics, hydroponics, aeroponics, the list goes on and on. The main objective is to bridge this gap and scale down the production levels. One of the oldest and most prevailing practices in sustainable food production is permaculture. It's a concept that was created in the 70s by Australian academics Bill Mollison and David Holmgren. It was defined as the conscious design and maintenance of agriculturally productive ecosystems which have the diversity, stability and resilience of natural ecosystems. Hmm. A conscious design of agriculturally productive ecosystems. Sounds like exactly what the world needs today, right? So, this time, with the help of Karima Bilama and Julia Ferreira Vega, we will put permaculture at the center of the discussion in an effort to understand what it is, what are its principles, and how we can envision and implement other sustainable food production practices in our kitchens and our cities. So permaculture, it's uh, okay. It's this. It is divided into two words. It's permanent culture or permanent agriculture. So it's the shift from uh, the idea of having industrial agriculture and the manner of like producing in masses with GMO seeds and pesticides, and switching it to the idea of like planting in a, an environment that is very uh, holistic uh, to the plants and to the grains that actually born and part of your culture and where you reside or like from your ground that you've been living in or you come from. So this idea is very generic. It goes back to the 70s to the from two actually one um, scientist and the other is an environmental engineer uh, designer. The first one is Billy Mollison and the second one is uh, David Hol Holmgren. And uh, these two people uh, have uh, created the idea after, actually it comes from the idea of like, they had enough of uh, eating vegetables that being produced by uh, scientists who produce grains. And they saw, they saw this difference of uh, um, pigmentation or like the difference of... Uh, what we can say? Color? Not color, the taste. Actually, oh. the taste is very different from what they've been crowding behind their houses right. and what they're buying from the market. And then they got into the idea, okay, like, there's a very huge difference. So this comes from very far away for where we reside. The vegetation is coming very far away. So it's changing its taste, its value, its color, its uh, atmosphere, its uh, how, we eat, how we eat it. So they create this idea of permaculture of like, closing the gap between 
the plantation fields and the plate. So the plants from the plant where it is to the plate where you eat it. Right. So I guess now today with all this talk about kilometer zero food and local production, this is becoming more and more important, right? Exactly. So we actually, it was one of the awareness that is being rising, rising uh, among us, among people. So why not close this gap? And that's one of the objective of uh, urban agriculture in some ways. But we're not going to talk about the subject. We're going to talk about permaculture and we're going to abort the end of this discussion and how we can implement it in the urban environment. So just like a small introduction, this is, uh, we talk about a little bit about the history and where it comes from. It's reside from, it is like the beginning of Australia and the, from the 70s to the 80s. And actually there is a very cool fact about this that, permaculture in the 70s and 80s since we didn't have GIS at the time so one of the scientists uh, one of them actually uh, created a device to capture where is the north sun for winter and summer the different the difference between them and how actually it can affect its garden and how it can affect the heating system of his house at the time so he can build his house or like uh, by his house and this actually uh, affected the prices of real estate back in uh, back in australia in the 70s it's in the early age so imagine with the idea of like with the gis nowadays it's like mainly what we learn one of the tools that we learn here in barcelona in iac in mct program we learn this uh, this tool to actually learn about the ground learn about the fertility of the ground and nature of the ground and the idea of the permaculture it's not about planting only planting. It's about also the different type of uh, landscapes, the different types of designing greens uh, around our garden. So this affects the irrigation, the, this affects the, the water that you are storing in your grounds, this affects the plantation that you are planting, this affects the heating, the microclimate. These all typologies actually comes from permaculture. So technically you are building a green space out of nature, of its nature environment. So you're not implementing any uh, pesticide. You're not implementing and you're not using any uh, um, chemicals to produce these uh, natural uh, elements. You're just using your ground and your fertilizers of the ground that already been here to produce the vegetables that you are consuming. And this is so. What? What? Are, just to make it a bit clearer, maybe. What is the main differences between common ways of uh, farming and permaculture? So basically, the normal agriculture industry is very much based on the pesticides, GMO seeds, and fertilizers, which creates kind of a vicious cycle, because GMO seeds needs pesticides and fertilizers are produced by the same company as the seeds, so. Yeah, at the beginning with JMO seeds, you can get better results on your crops, but then the next season you'll get less and less and less. And instead with permaculture, it's basically trying to learn with the nature and copying the system of nature that is the most perfect system that we have. So at the beginning, uh, it can be a bit more difficult because you won't get so many results but then in the long run, it will be much better. And in five years, we'll get much better results than you got in the beginning. 
And then also, if you think about the Retro Suburbia book by David Almgren, which is also one of the fathers of permaculture that we mentioned before, we can see how this is also a way that is, this, this book is part manual and part manifesto, and it's about trying to guide us humans that we are by nature don't want to change, guide us to a shifting away from the consumption-based culture um, and is very also uh, contextualized in the suburbia as most of us have some kind of suburbia in our DNA. So it promotes this idea of how the, Australia, uh, the Australian suburbs can be transformed to become productive and re re resilient into uncertain futures which is also very in, in line with the nowadays agenda of having resilient cities uh, because of climate change. And how can we learn with these principles from nature and create, we talk about circular design all the time, circular economy, and this kind of um, goes in sync with the same idea because nature is also a, a circular uh, system. I see, so basically, if I understand this correctly, uh, common ways of farming and, agri and doing agriculture are based on a continuous monitor monitoring and a continuous, let's say, um, um, what would be the uh, continuous monitoring of the of, of the processes that you are actually inputting uh, into the system. Hundred uh, percent. And in um, in contrast, when it comes to permaculture. Uh, there's only, let's say, a five-year window that you have to really be over the system and then it kind of like takes off on its own, right? So, in a way, yes, you still have to maintain your crops and it's not going to do it by itself. But that, That's the aesthetic part. And if we're talking about like the continuous uh, agenda of like taking care of a crop that's been like built. But what, so for example, Alex, if you go for a supermarket or like any shop and everything and you're going to talk, you're like, Okay, you're gonna get some vegetables who are technically organic, but these vegetables are actually being planted by seeds that are GMO seeds, that are genetically modified seeds, and actually they used pesticide, some chemicals, but like uh, attenuated uh, pesticide that can like not affect, because most of the pesticides are like cancerogen, uh, they cause cancer on the long run, and that's what they don't see. For example, farmers, they know about it, but just like doing it for the money. But actually what they consume themselves, it's not what they are planting for the mass. They have another crop that they use actually to, to consume themselves because they know what they are producing is totally toxic. So if we take this aspect of planting, if we're going to say, and like at the mass, like industrializing the plantation and the agriculture, where are we reaching? To feed the population, we are like just like providing some goods for the population who are living in the city, who don't have access to that subject. Yeah. So what is your personal experience with permaculture? I didn't know it was permaculture at the time. That was the most interesting part. I thought it was like how we normally plant. So I was living in Beirut most of my life, in back in Lebanon, and during COVID, I decided to go to the mountain to live in my summer house. And uh, my friend uh, had a piece of land next to, this, uh, next to his house, who is part of his, uh, his space. And uh, we spent most of our, of our uh, COVID time together. And we did like, since we're not working, we're not doing anything. And we have to stay like in our surrounding. 
why not to profit of this? Like, like, let's come experience something. We never put our hands on the ground. We like city boys all of the time. So let's experience something. We saw some grains and we just dig in the, in the ground of his garden and we start putting the seed and like feeding them. And since we're like most of the time, like on the search of on the internet and stuff like that, we start like, okay, it's been three weeks now. Why isn't fertile? Isn't go? Isn't growing? It's been like we didn't see any seed and stuff like that. So we start like seeing, searching for like natural way to actually put a proteins to this plant. It like eggshells, uh, banana peels orange peels and all of this and actually we start dehydrating them and mixing them with the soil and like providing it to the plant on the ground and so we started growing crops small crops sufficient for his house in the beginning in the first year of corona from 2019 to 2020 but on the second year of 2020 to 21 it was providing his house and my house i was taking lettuces scales radish mints uh, basil and all of this we started growing from what from plants that we actually bought from a supermarket and we just like copying them cutting them and just like planting them on the ground or like putting them in a foiling system and just like providing it so we came became by the end of 2021 we became like partly independent from greens that we buy from the from the supermarket and that experience led me to another one when you say partly yes why partly? We, you can never solve the food issue. That's something. Let's talk straightforward to this. It's, it's inevitable. We cannot solve this, uh, this uh, food crisis. We cannot actually... Which, wait, wait, because you're going into, I think, a, a deeper topic, which is yes. food, food crisis. So if because you, I understood that when you said uh, partly, you meant that, okay, like 80% the of the vegetables that you needed to sustain yourself... Uh, you would take them from the farms, the crops that you had created. Uh, that means that wh what what would you have to do to actually reach that 100% independence? Much larger land. Much You would need a much yeah, larger much land. Larger. Okay. Actually, when you're a family of four or five, it's a bit difficult to plant in your backyard and, and actually produce for your house. Right. So you like space, it's very a very big factor in this. And also you have your meats that you provide and you have a lot of things that don't grow on certain altitude. You have, you need warmer climate. You need like more uh, dark soil or like more wet soil. It depends on all of this also. So that's why, uh, yes, that's why I was telling you that it brought me to another project that I developed a small uh, startup, me and my friend, it's called AgriLab. And this is based actually, we got a huge land in the mountains of Lebanon. And this is where we planted oil based plant to have extraction of oils. For example, lavender, rosemary, thyme, French thyme, Lebanese thyme, and uh, basil, kale, and all of this, like how we can extract oils from them and to put, to use them in maybe pharmaceutical uh, environment. And so the next time I need za'atar, I know who to go Yes. To. <laughs> <laughs> totally. You Fantastic. got it. <laughs> yes. Uh, and it was a very great experience and it opened my eyes to a lot of things because 
and then we've met with we've met with my one of my friends. We had a call a couple of days back with one of my friends who is Yara Wared, who is like one of for me it's a very good reference to talk about this because she had the similar background of how we switched from uh, buying from the supermarket or from from the local store, and then she planted and. Yeah, and it's interesting because she has a background, educational background in uh, sociology and anthropology. So then she connected this permaculture to this more so, uh, society-focused background that she had already. And uh, yes, so this her experience is very interesting because she we found the essential essentials of permaculture, how it is like connected with different NGOs. Uh, for example, uh, bank seed, seed banks, uh, any other type of agriculture around Lebanon, because she's based in Lebanon, and different area, or in different areas, and different type of vegetation and production. So her experience and her background and how she grow in this business and in this field, it's very uh, eye-opening in terms how why we cannot actually implement it in our neighborhood or like why can't we implement it in our sector where we live you see it doesn't demand a lot of attention in the beginning and at the end but it needs a lot of attention in the beginning so that's what she said uh, julia in the beginning you need five years to actually put yourself into the work for the end this product will reach to you that like it's self-sustainable it's a circularity I mean, we're in a city, uh, Barcelona, where, you know, like these practices, they really are, let's say, at the center of the citizen's attention, I would say. The more independent you are from these typical, let's say, chains of supply, um, the better. Uh, because there's a very big culture of self-sufficiency and sustainability here in Barcelona. Uh, I assume in Lebanon, uh, the, these ideas are becoming uh, more uh, prominent uh, with time. Uh, I'm thinking how this can be contextualized, you know. Uh, so, depending on the context, we, as we know quite well, um, practices meet more resistance uh, from the people, or sometimes they're more easily integrated into societies. It really is a, a very complex mix of societal factors, practical factors, logistics, environment, culture, so on and so forth. Uh, but what do you think is the catalyst to actually bring in practices like this? into an urban environment? I think it has a lot to do with how society is changing this, what that you're saying of the mentality. People are getting more self-aware of environmental issues and about connecting with themselves, especially after COVID. People start doing their own bread. They start wanting, you know, like... I'm guilty of this. So, <laughs> <laughs> so I think it, it's... And at the end, also permaculture is not agriculture. Agriculture is producing. Permaculture is more than that. It's also a lifestyle. Uh, also, if you look at the, the seven domains of action of the permaculture flower, where you can fit these into three fields of action, biological, the built, and the behavioral. So it's like we have all these things like the buildings the tools and technology education and culture health and spiritual well-being finance and economy land tenure and uh, community and governance and land nature and uh, stewardship so more about the biological part so 
I think it aligns a lot with how people are changing this mentality and it gets to reuniting people in a community. Like we can see here in Barcelona, some of these urban farmings that they bring people together. And so it reinforces the social bonds, but at the same time, also your individual bonds with yourself because you know what you're eating, you know what you're putting in your plate and you're more in touch with the nature. So we're going back to more human aspects that we kind of shift away with all the technology happening. Um, and for me also, like if I think about my personal experience, uh, I'm from the city, uh, but my grandparents are from the countryside of the north of Portugal, which in a way they were lucky because it's geographically is a good place because the land is very fertile. So yeah, the house could be fully uh, sustain uh, out of um, Self-sustainable. Exactly. So, and they were they had big lands and people working for them. But at the same time, these people would also benefit from the land. So, uh, it also creates kind of, a kind of community. And the household was like that. So, when my grandparents moved to the city, this kind of got lost. But at the same time, my grandfather continued this idea, and with a smaller piece of land, we would also have our own vegetables. So. We were not fully independent as my grandparents were when they were born in their house, but some things we would get from our backyards. Other things we would buy in the supermarket, obviously, because we were now in the city. And I think the most important part of permaculture is you can get these small things and you can get a little bit, even though you're not fully independent from the supermarket, at least some of the things that are in your plates are the things that you plant, you saw them grow. So yeah, I think it's very enriching also individually and as a community, as a group of people. I think this is a very common thing when it comes to uh, considering like moving to more sustainable practices. We often mistake the transition uh, and equate it with big radical moves. When in fact, I think the let's say safest approach is small incremental actions. Uh, that at the end and the and aggregate, yes, you cannot fully uh, let's say cut yourself off from the supermarket because you know the supply chain is built in a way where one way or another is going to creep into your life and you're going to have to depend on it. But I guess it's important that at the same time you find these little actions that you can reduce your dependency from it, not eliminate it, but reduce it in. Practices like this, uh, I find to be very inspiring and effective in, in, in doing this. Um, so let's go to the big question. I mean, uh, can cities be sustainable when it comes to food? Can we produce our own food? Because a lot of the times urban farming is uh, mistaken with greenwashing. So you, you see these fancy beautiful sometimes renders of, you know, green cities. And today is the day when we're really talking about greening our cities more than ever. Uh, but we know that it's not as easy. So what's the approach? I, I, I really like this, actually, this question, because we are used in a way of, like, a design to green. So we are usually focused on mainly of greening spaces whatever it is, designing crops with trees, shrubs, and ground covers. And 
the efficiency of this is zero. Hmm. Why so? What are you doing? What are we doing? I'm a land, I have a background in landscape architecture. All my life, all my experience is like actually put some grass, shrubs, trees to just like do the design, the aspect of a design. It can be an hotel, a private villa, in a small backyard, or like even in a city corner. But if we think on a different in a different way, why not green to produce or green to benefit? In some ways, we can always green in some ways. We can always have this aspect of a green inside the city. The population of a greenery, this huge trees, this huge uh, arborals, this huge shrubs, actually, with a very beautiful background and a very beautiful aspect to a city and a very great character, but actually also benefit from it. So what is, what is if we uh, change the trees? Okay, for example, I'm going to give a random example. Uh, ficus which is like a huge uh, uh, huge tree that have huge palms and like actually create a great shape. But if we plant different types of uh, citrus trees with, uh, with the same cluster, create a different bush of uh, roses and uh, like the organic rose or like the forest rose actually can consume, which is the fruit. It's a very, it's very sweet if you mix it with like acid and it's very acid if you mix it with sweet. And you can plant next to it some uh, lavender or rosemary or thyme. So imagine what is this consequences would create to an environment. First of all, you'd have a smell map, which is very amazing to pass around. You'd have a very uh, this uh, the smells that it like lead you somewhere. And actually, you can benefit from it from as a, as a plants to create a salad, to create a tea, to create anything of it. So imagine we could have these clusters instead of like. Uh, grass and some trees. Imagine a city is being populated from this system and not anymore from the system of like just like designing green, just a landscape, normal landscape. Imagine the transition of the mentality and the psychological effect that it will affect the people living in this neighborhood. What will you get? First of all, you will have like something you can grab on from your hand, you can hand pick from with your hand. And second of all, you by yourself, you'll be like, much more driven actually to go around this area and just like take action and uh, taking part of like maintaining this because you actually, it's giving to you. It's giving to you. It's not giving just like an aesthetic value. It's giving to you a moral status. So. Uh, so in my opinion, I think, uh, no, cities cannot be fully sustainable, uh, independent um, in food production for many reasons. One is there's a lot of people in a small space, so it's very hard to do crops that would feed everyone. But I think that even though we cannot be fully independent, doing something is already better than nothing. And then also, Applying some of these principles to the city will always be beneficial and not the opposite for the city, for the environment, and for the people living there. And then also, um, like permaculture can be adapted to any environment, soil, climate, and it will, can work everywhere because it's also a design process. So cities and urban planning is also a design process. So we, if we 
bring them together and we merge the principles together, we can definitely have some crops in the city and we can definitely have some people or most of them uh, benefiting from, the, from this. And then also, the, the idea is also to have in the suburbs more and more of these crops because the suburbs have more space than the city center. And once we go out of the city gradually, we can have larger crops and we can have different crops. So once we go out of suburbia, we then can have fields and we can have grains like wheat that cannot be planted in a small crop. And then after that, it should exist the forest and the wild. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, we can have, I can have my strawberries at home planted by me, but I cannot have flour because the grains need to be planted far away and it's another process. But, but yeah, I think, I think the efforts and even the small results are very beneficial. And So I, I really love the, the fact that you mentioned design and uh, design and technology uh, in IAC, they often go hand in hand. I mean, okay, as we said, permaculture is one of the many ways, that, one of the many practices to actually uh, you know, grow food, and we are uh, we are in a day and age once again where we have many different ways to do this. Uh, vertical farming uh, is another one. And again, I'm thinking of maybe there are different examples in cities that you have identified that uh, can be used successful references for people to be inspired from um, things that I can do in my house or in my building or in my community? There is different types of reference, different scales of references that we can actually mention. And if, if we're talking practic uh, practically or like solving an issue. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to go some references from the wider scale to the smaller scale. Uh, so for example, there is a huge project that happened actually in China and actually it was uh, one of the uh, one of the ideology of uh, or like the movement greening the desert it's one of the project of greening the desert and uh, joe floton have mentioned in different uh, scenarios as one of the permaculture activists one of the most known permaculture activists and back in australia and he has actually an institute of permaculture and uh, they green the desert and solving the issue of for the city in terms of dust, uh, so, uh, sand, uh, sand uh, storms, uh, climate, and, and water filtration. And there is a, also a new one that happened a couple of years back in Jordan. Actually, it is also part of the green desert. They created... A, family actually one of the members of the of a family went to the institute of joe floton and he learned the art of permaculture and he brought it back to his village in jordan and now he has more than 100 people working with him hand in hand to generate food for their community and for their village they we we uh we purpose the desert which is a dry desert a rocky dry desert which is impossible to plant they planted it with multitude of uh, greens, multitude of greens that we can actually consume and not only aesthetically. So, but moving back to the city, uh, like practices like aeroponics, hydroponics, and vertical farming, they really are at the center of uh, attention. Attention. 
Any any thoughts on that? How uh, we can actually start implementing them? We uh, uh, um, we're gonna talk. Uh, I'm gonna talk about this because I'm doing this in IOB and Internet of Buildings. So that's a project I'm working on with a couple of my classmates, and it's actually how we can implement greenhouses on a small to big scale using different types of urban agric- urban agriculture. Urban agriculture is like different types of urban agriculture. You have the geoponics, which is uh, soil. You have the hydroponics, which is a mesh of water, the vertical, mainly, mainly, mainly vertically. You have the uh, aeroponics, which is uh, humidity of water inside uh, an aquarium. And you have the aquaculture, which is the plant that doesn't have any roots, that is flooding only in water. And it's only used to feed, and it's filtrated by... uh, fish tanks so these are different types of urban uh, agriculture that have been implemented in different ways around uh, around the cities and certainly one of the most known one is hydroponics why because it's the uh, best or the most feasible solution for urban agriculture it doesn't require a lot of attention it is fully monitored mainly that are made with uh, in greenhouses or it's made in containers that like you have uh, the season ideal season or year long so it can produce multitude of crops along the season so that is one of the problem solving of food uh, around the city and uh, this is but as i mentioned before it's completely different than permaculture yeah. it is relatable in some ways in terms of productivity and in terms of um, quality of uh, food that you're being producing, but at a different technology. Permaculture is completely organic and completely culture and completely off technology production. Whereas uh, urban agriculture is a completely technological production of food inside the city, which is very uh, important to solve different uh, solutions, but we cannot combine both of them. It's completely off. But it is a way, actually, it's a very generative way of monetary income, to be honest. Well, maybe now I'm going to go against you because I thought that even though it's a completely different thing, because we are in the city, so we have a different scale. So we don't have so much crops. So that's why these new types of agriculture that you were mentioning before started being invented and implemented. So you can have more efficiency and inside the city. But at the same time, I think these should, shouldn't go against each, uh, against each other, but maybe the two can coexist. And even the principles of permaculture maybe can be overlaid in some way. No, not the parts of, of course, the land and how you take care of the seeds, but maybe the other part of permaculture, because uh, as we mentioned before, permaculture is not only about growing food. It's also uh, a lifestyle and a way of thinking. So in that sense, I think it's good to have them both in the cities. And even if our food issue is not a problem that can be solved, uh, at least something is being done i think i think that's a very good point i mean in the end we need to think of the end result that we want to achieve there's so many 
indisputable benefits to bringing nature and greenery to the cities from reducing temperature, making the air more breathable, making public spaces uh, more enjoyable. I mean, there, we just have a natural connection with uh, vegetation and greenery. So regardless of what practice you choose, uh, it's just the means to, the, to an end that we want to achieve. Uh, and again, we, there's so many um, uh, valid reasons to want to bring in these practices into urban design and urban planning. And I think planners have a lot to learn from farmers and uh, you know agriculture experts so regardless of whether it's permaculture hydroponics aquaponics geoponics aquaculture i think uh it's it's a fair game uh and we need to be open we need to find ways to implement everything depending on the context or some of them depending on another context because sometimes you know we kind of like tend to just implement technologies for the sake of it and that's just not um it's proven not to be the wisest approach. Uh, we need to be very critical as well. Yeah. And that's, I think this is the, the next challenge, right? Um, identifying the context, which types of practices, depending on the different factors that uh, define the, the specific context, can be implemented, whether it's the culture uh, or the, the communities or the people. Even the soil itself sometimes is telling you, no, you cannot do this here you need to go into uh, into different practices. Uh, sometimes you need to be more technocratic, more uh, more technological, and invoke different, uh, more sophisticated means to bring food to the citizens. And others, the soil itself. Other times, the soil itself is open and uh, and fertile enough to say, you know what, permaculture is the way you can feed everybody, or you know, uh, most of the people using this practice. Exactly, and it's also in line with. Uh, is for, in my opinion, of the decentralization, uh, because we used now to rely on big companies that produce food, that produce the GMO seeds and the pesticides and all of that. And if we, that's also one of the ideas of permaculture, of going away from it. Also, hydroponics and all of these types of urban farming can be um, part of smaller uh, projects, collaborations, um, cooperatives that gets, mm, we can get this food production and this also uh, green activization uh, decentralized from one company or one big multinational. It's to, uh, looking at this in a more day-to-day uh, -day life and something that is part of our society, our lifestyle, rather than a commercial and industrialized thing that we need to survive. I, I think it's uh, an opening war on, it's an economical opening war on huge uh, companies, as uh, Julia mentioned earlier. Uh, imagine this transition that's happening, which just it can affect actually GMOs and huge like pioneers of uh, agricultural product that have been here for the past 50 years since the second the end of second world war because mainly they used the chemical that they used for the chemical war to produce uh, vegetables so imagine this transition like this hand-to-hand -hand urban design and a shift from uh, industrial agriculture to different typologies of agriculture inside the city or on the suburb of the city the effect on it uh, would be, and everyone would 
apply to it because it's healthier, it's more, much more aesthetic and much more engaged for other citizen. And of course, uh, uh, as we were asking about uh, urban agriculture, it doesn't require actually a lot of space. It's on the total opposite. It doesn't require a like, minimum space, of course, to store it or like to produce it. You can produce much more in a vertical way and a much smaller area than any uh, normal uh, culture way. So the production will be higher and the space would be much smaller. So it's a very good reason to, save, to switch to this uh, technology. And also they are being, technologies are being uh, advanced. And since now, actually we're on the, we're the 17th of June, for the past three days, there was the, there was the biggest event of uh, of uh, uh, urban agriculture in uh, Amsterdam, the huge event of uh, this new technology that's rising and new technologies to implement into our urban agriculture product and the new standards, the new basic standards, and this is like very important to actually most of us understand who are in the field, and it's kind of a reference like we're reaching in a couple of next years. Maybe now we are eating from farms around the city, but in a couple of years we're going to be eating from Poblenou in Barcelona, or like from uh, Science in Barcelona, or like Gracia. God knows where it's going to be implemented, these urban agriculture boxes, or like houses. You can have uh, uh, you can have a hydroponic inside your room, or your closet, on your balcony, or like on your terraces. Well, <clears throat> still in this topic, um... So I, I think that at the end, all these new technologies of urban farming, they're very aligned with the principles, principles of the permaculture, but they go around the technical aspects that permaculture cannot meet in the city. For example, the soil, we completely destroy the soil with the buildings, and so it gets harder to do permaculture in the city, but if we bring on hydroponics, we can get the food and we can get everything easier. And so at the end, the social and political aspect of empowering each individual and the community and in the limited city, uh, I think it can only bring benefits for, for everyone. And I think that's the way to go. And that's in line with the UN agenda of food supply, of environmental issues, of getting better cities and smarter cities, greener cities, not in the greenwashing way, but in the real sense of it. And for me, I think we will see more and more of this. Maybe permaculture, permaculture will be more in the suburbia, more in the countryside, but we'll see these principles being implemented as well in the city with other responses because we had other issues as well. Fantastic. Thank you very much, guys. Thank you, Thank Alex, you. for hosting us. <laughs> Thank you very much. The Master Plan is a project of IAX Master in City and Technology, a program that is redefining the analysis, planning, and design of cities around the world. The show is produced at the Institute for Advanced Architecture of Catalonia, located in sunny, ever so beautiful, Barcelona. Thank you.